Hi there, I'm Dan Jones and this is my podcast. I'm an oceanographer and on this podcast, which is barely produced, very casual, very uh, unprofessional, uh, I have long conversations with people whose work intersects with climate in some way, whether they are climate scientists or oceanographers or uh, even social scientists. I'm uh, Basically, I don't want that term climate scientist to be super prescriptive. Uh, so yeah, earlier today I had a really good chat with Pete Davis and also with Christian Buckingham, who joined me in my office to record an episode. And uh, Pete and Christian, they're both oceanographers working at the British Antarctic Survey. Uh, and yes, the podcast so far in uh, these first few episodes they have been a bit bass-centric, uh, that's pretty clear. And yeah, I totally am just uh, starting with my colleagues for these first episodes. Um, I have interviewed people who are not at bass, <laughs> and I will continue to interview people. I have uh, some schedules for folks who are not at bass. But honestly, for me, for these first few episodes, it does make sense to start with my local colleagues, to kind of um, you know, start with the people... Uh, that I know best and to try to get my feet uh, firmly planted below me before going out into the world and trying to do a whole bunch of other interviews in other places. So we had a, a really nice chat. Uh, we talked about turbulence underneath ice shelves. Uh, we talked about the peer review process and uh, how grueling but ultimately beneficial that can be. We talked about Pete's PhD experience, his experience growing up, and a lot of other things along the way. Um, I, yeah, I did want to warn you, um, or warn is maybe too strong of a word, but to just let you know that um, you'll hear some kind of uh, road noise in this. Not really sirens or anything, but just that kind of gentle whooshing of trash traffic. It was a warm day today, well, a pretty warm day in my office where we did the recording so I had the windows open uh, there really wasn't another alternative uh, other than opening the windows so you'll hear that just kind of gentle background sound of traffic that's what that low uh, rushing sound is you'll hear some birds chirping every now and then it's uh, finally kind of spring has arrived in the UK and things are looking nice uh, this week we had some sunshine You'll also hear a squeaky chair. One of our chairs was squeaky, and sometimes people move in the chairs, and that makes a sound. Um, yeah, so thanks very much to Pete Davis for joining me, and thanks to Christian for coming along. Uh, Christian sat in and uh, joined as kind of a co-host or co-guest, however you want to put it. Um, yeah, it was great to have them all along. I hope that we can do it again in the future maybe with Christian as the main guest as Pete and Pete as the uh, additional guest, something like that. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Right. So it's nice to be back from this long hiatus. So I wasn't able to record any over the Easter break. Um, you know, people were away for the holidays and taking care of their, their kids and uh, that sort of thing. So it makes scheduling pretty difficult over those Easter holidays. And uh, yeah, I thought about trying to ramble a little bit, but honestly, 
for some reason, I'm finding recording this intro really difficult. It uh, might not sound like it, but for some reason, the words are just not coming out of my mouth as much as uh, as easily as they really should be. Maybe I'm just tired. So uh, I'll spare you my long attempt at rambling, and uh, we'll just go ahead and get into the conversation as quickly as we can. Uh, I warned you about the road noise and the birds and the squeaky chair. You can expect all of those things. I had to do some very minor editing here and there. Uh, it was just little tiny snippets. I didn't cut any of the conversation, but I did cut. There was a, a couple. There were a couple of times when the microphone got hit, and when the microphone gets hit, it makes this awful like shuddering thud sound. And uh, I had to clip those out. So there's one or two places where you might hear the conversation suddenly jump, and that's what's going on there. I just cut out those sudden thumps that make the microphone shudder, so you can expect that. Um, right, let's go ahead and get into it. Thanks for joining, thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. What do you think? Do you want to... You mean because this is a cheaper microphone on the other one? No. So... Just, I just usually have two. Yeah, 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 one Just give me a second. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, go. Thanks. Go, go! Well... <laughs> well, it's going to be hard to start if we're going to sh put another microphone in right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, just wait. Yeah, we will. Yeah, yeah. No, it's already started. <laughs> <laughs> this is the beginning. We're recording. We are yeah. recording. Oh, you, you can, can see that. across. You can see across my office. I can. I can spy on you. Yeah. Really easily. Crap. Actually. Yeah. That's alright. It's a good thing I didn't do any work. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're like, you know... If you need to like pick your nose and stuff, uh, and, like, yeah. you know this. <laughs> it's when I come in after cycling, and I'm like, "Oh, no one can see me." I'll quickly change my top. I'm like, "Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. And, and we look across, and Dan yeah. is there. Yeah, yeah. Got peering out the window. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. It's um. This is a weird. It's a, sorry, it's a weird shaped office. I haven't really spent much time in your office. Yeah. A weird L shape. It is a weird L shape. Yeah. I don't know. Is there an analogous one on the other side no, of the corridor there? No, not at all. Like. Who's that? That's a, like a student office. There are a bunch of students in there. Yeah. No, so I guess there's the there's Keith Makinson's office, and then there's the big like office that Christians in. But yeah, there's no L, there's no weird like L shaped. Yeah. Funky. Funky. Yeah. But well, I'm still I'm digesting. I'm trying to have my coffee because I don't think I've totally woken up yet. Right. <laughs> I'm like I'm not 100 percent here just yet. I'm okay. trying to be. I'm trying to get here because I want to be here. Thanks for doing this. That's right, no worries. Yeah. No worries. I'm glad that uh, you're here. I'm glad you agreed to do it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Sorry it's taken yeah. so long to get a date. No, no worries. Set. So I've now got you, like, you know, you're, you're captive in this L weird L-shaped office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in here now. For I can't be next. like, oh, I've got no... No, six hours. Yeah, you know, got, we got... Hours. So there's the, the Polar Oceans meeting, not Polar Oceans, she's meeting at, like, 2.30, 2.30. It's we like, got till then. Yeah. <laughs> if you can just skip lunch and uh, yeah, we'll just go. Through, we'll just talk through lunch. No, that's fine. There's no minimum and no maximum time. Cool. You know, it just goes on. I'm just. I'm still upset that I forgot the other cable because like it's. It sounds better if you have two. Yes. But yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's fine. There might be, it, it, it captures it, things okay. Yeah. If there's any office that has cables coming out, there it is. It's Christian's office. It's Christian's. Yeah. So okay. Hopefully they will have it. Well, you know, what? I'm gonna roll with it. If he comes back with a cable, we can take. We'll. we'll break it and yeah it's fine we'll do a break and then i can stitch it together it's all totally oh okay any luck um yeah just give me a sec oh you got you got that oh, wow he's in these are just 
these external drives. Um, oh yeah, okay. So you might have something. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. I keep. I find them pretty handy. Buckets of cables and things. Looks like it. Right? Oh, no. Not at first glance, no. No. Sure. Uh, that's alright. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for trying. It's fine. I think this will be alright. This will be pretty good. Somewhere, but it's not here. Okay. That's alright. Yeah. We'll roll. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for doing that and checking. I'm thinking about the whole like. Um, You're not recording, are you? Know, yeah, yeah, it's going. Oh, crap. Yeah, why? <laughs> is that a problem? It's not meant to make you nervous or anything. It's just, it's nice to um, for there to not be a formal start yeah. to it. Now it's we nice get. That, oh god! And yeah, and everybody just clams right up. You know, put on your radio voice. Use, <laughs> use your BBC voice. So that's the opposite of what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think I mentioned that to you once, Christian. That like, if it ever sounds like. And this isn't a dig on BBC or NPR, but if it ever sounds like BBC radio or NPR radio, something has gone wrong. Something, and wrong. something yeah. has gone horribly wrong. There's definitely you know. a place for BBC and formal talk. But yeah. Do you like. have that thing, speaking of cables, do you have that thing where you've got like a bucket of cables that you've been I moving do. around with yeah. for years? That they're, like, they're at home now, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> that you, you move it from like house to house. Yeah. And then maybe yeah. like every time you go through it, you pull out all the cables and you're like, I might need this one someday, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. In, in a decade. I'm not <laughs> the only one to do that, but I do actually have a whole box and bucket. Yeah. yeah. Bags. I'm rebuilt now that I, you know, we moved to the UK a few years ago, so we're rebuilding our, you know, cable collection. Rebuilding your bucket, yeah. yeah. Somewhere in my parents' attic, there is a, a bucket of those cables that we've been moving yeah. around from place to place, and now it's just, like, stuck you in can't, my You can't attic. get rid of them, because, you know, every now and again, there will be one cable <laughs> that you need. And That's you're like, I've got it in my bucket. Yeah. But and, and as soon as you throw that one out, or give it away, or whatever you do with you cables... Need, you have to go and buy another one. Then yeah. you will need it. That's, like, when you will need it. Yeah. That they win that will. No, absolutely. Up. Absolutely. Yeah, I have like old phone connectors, like the, the plug sockets, you know, like landlines. Yeah. I don't know oh, why I have oh, this. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Old school. I think there's. Pretty funny. I think there's a line for that in our house, but we don't. In we fact, don't I have an old phone. You have an old phone. That, like, it doesn't have any battery, it just takes the battery from the line. Like oh right! The electricity from So you have a wow. Line? That is really old school. I know. That is really it old school. It lights up. It lights yeah, up yeah, yeah, yeah. Plug it in. Do you use it? So you use the landline, or no? You don't use it. I don't use it anymore. No. I they're did the, use it. Uh, they're the phones to have during a power cut because your power goes down. It's not difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Now my mum's got um got a spare one in her oh. house. It has like the old you know the old wireless kind of handsets. And then just in case there's a power cut, the old phone comes out straight back into the phone line. Mm. Or your mobile phone. If it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it's got mobile phones. <laughs> yeah, is that not a is that not a? Not, she she's only she's just got an iPhone. She hasn't jumped. Oh, she, just yeah. now she's jumped yeah, yeah, on yeah. board. And she's still like, I don't know why. What is the point? Like, I text and I call. What is the point? I'm like, oh, okay. I, I give up. I give up. But. You gotta plug your brain into the machine. Yeah. <laughs> you have to let the machine know where you are at all times. Yeah. <laughs> How is it gonna entertain you otherwise? Exactly. Like, there we go. There we go. I was Sorry. just telling Pete I'm still trying to wake up. I'm still trying to like get here. But think, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for coming along, Christian. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll just be the, the sidekick here. Sure. Like Pete's the main, <laughs> the main center of attraction. <laughs> I'll just sip my coffee and make comments. Yeah. You make stupid comments. <laughs> yeah. Like, as we go. I think you make comments yeah. about your mom. Really. <laughs> every, every now and then, just go. Psh, right. <laughs> just, like, sure. Just you know. Try as you wish. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so I really I enjoyed your talk the other week. We talked about it. A oh, little okay. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, 
This doesn't have to be the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not a bug. <laughs> Sorry, perfect. <laughs> just like that. Um, yeah, so you give this nice talk, which yeah. was, you know, talking about your work and turbulence and your life under the... Uh, not under the ice. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you stay above the ice yeah. sheet. Yeah, and you know, you know. drill down and... Under the, uh, this is still weird to me that like there are floating tongues of ice, gigantic floating tongues of ice that sit on top of the ocean. They're extending off of Antarctica yeah, yeah. and they're floating on top of the water, and they move with the you know sea changes yeah, like they, and they crack and they. It, yeah, like you you look at the scale of them, you think they're just gonna they'll just break off. Mm. They're so enormous, and then then you look at the um, the fact that they move up and down with the tide. Yeah. So when you're working on them, of course you don't sense it, but yeah, like your two meters kind of changing every day, and then the ice is the ice shelf is getting thicker, <laughs> it's getting noise, thicker and thinner on those kind chair. of tidal bits, and it's crazy. Yeah, so they affect they're affected by the tide, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so cute. yeah, so because they because they're, because they're so big, they're not all moving because I guess they're kind of sloshing and rotating. The ice is kind of flowing downhill, so it's kind of thinning some bits and thickening other bits, and then it's kind of flowing the other way, and yeah, that kind of straining is happening. The ice is flowing. Yeah, the ice yeah. is the ice yeah. is literally flowing. It's, it's, it's straining on like six hours, twelve hour periods. And six it's, hours? Yeah, because oh. as the as the tide goes goes around like this, the it gets thicker. The ice shelf gets thicker and thinner. Noticeably thicker and thinner. Really? Just on hour hourly time. Yeah, yeah. So That's yeah, so amazing. so when people are when we're trying to get to melt rates, we yeah, say we okay, well this. let's see a melt rate over a tidal cycle because it gets the water gets faster. There's more melting. Yeah. But a, a huge amount of that kind of thickness signal is just the ice shelf flowing and and getting expanding and contracting. Yeah, I think Keith Makinson kind of discovered this. Yeah, there's a yeah, event, they're really they're really having a problem getting melt rates at less than kind of a, less than daily timescales because this it's basically a massive it's a tiny residual between big numbers. Yeah. Of the of the ice shelf thickening and thickening, thinning as it kind of flows. Mm -hmm. That's pretty wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's you would think that they're basically stationary; they don't move at all. But no, they're very they're dynamic. They're all over the place. Yeah. So. It's, yeah, that'd be your first guess, right? They're gigantic blocks of ice yeah, <laughs> floating in the water. Yeah. Yeah. And they must they must make low sound that we can't hear, I guess. Or maybe you hear some of it in the you know, the, the, all that movement it must be making a infra infrasound. <laughs> yeah, that we can't probably. Hear. Um no, the, so it's it's generally quite quiet. But I imagine if you put something under the in the water, you probably hear. Mm. Um the worst time though is so when the snow when the snow lays down, because it, it it can suddenly it's not very windy sometimes, so it kind of doesn't compact itself, and then we were doing hammer seismic. So you go along and you. What's that? So it's to to get the thickness of the ice shelf and the thickness of the water column underneath. You have to use seismics. So you have to kind of initiate a sound source yeah. at the surface, and you have a bunch of sound receivers, and the sound pulse kind of moves down through the ice and then through the water and it hits the seabed and it comes back up. And you can you can track the travel times and oh. work out the the thickness. Yeah. How loud is this? Um, but. How loud is this? Well, if you, if you, there's, there's two ways. There's, there's explosive seismics. So you're basically... You that dig, seems like a bad idea. Yeah, you dig, you dig kind of, or you all go like a 10 meter hole and you put some explosives in. You send off, you send off an explosion. Or the lighter and quicker way to do it, but less accurate way is to use a sledgehammer. So literally you get a square of plastic on the surface and you smack it with a sledgehammer. Yeah. And that creates enough of a sound source to be able to track the ice thickness. Uh, so we're doing this the first season on Sound South, and we, so we put down our, um, our bit of plastic and we smacked it with a sledgehammer, and there was a woof. And like Tora and I, the two guys, we were just, it was our first season or my first season, and we were just terrified. Like, it was like a lot louder it, than you thought. Is it would there be? a crevasse underneath us? Like what on earth is 
Like, because suddenly the, the ground wait, just... Wait, wait, wait. So you uh, hit the ice. No, come back. The, you, yeah, you wait, hit the... You hit, this you pl- hit the, the plastic. The yeah, plastic. the plastic. And the, the level just... Woof, it just drops down. Because of the snow. And it's, it's because the snow is not very compacted. So when you uh-huh. hit it, the layers, the top layers, just instantly just go... And they huh. compact. But yeah. it makes this huge... Woof sound. Wow. <laughs> it sounds just like a crevasse or an avalanche. Yeah. Um, and we, yeah, we literally both jumped on the skidoo. And had to send this very kind of harried video, or um, not video, um, radio message to Keith. Go, oh, I think we're in trouble. I think we're in trouble. And he was like, "Guys, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's totally so, normal. It's totally normal." When you smash an ice sheet with a hammer, a sledgehammer, yeah, it it, 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 it makes a big sound. It makes a big sound, yeah, because of the snow. Yeah, but it's it's I didn't know that. it's crazy that yeah, you can you can literally take a sledgehammer to a plas- a small plastic plate, and record the the echoes and from that you can um, you can tell the, the thickness of the ice wow like you, yeah you'd imagine you'd have to have a huge explosion like if you look at kind of the <laughs> seismic kit they use for oil and stuff huge kind of underwater explosions that they're making how you thick can, are the ice sheets how thick are they a couple uh, so this was this was 800 meters yeah. of ice and uh, yeah we're picking out easily picking out the ice shelf base and then we're putting another 450 meters and easily picking out the uh, seabed yeah. Um, and on, yeah, on some you were getting the multiples, so the signal was going down and then back up and then down again and then back up, and you're seeing these kind of multiple. You were picking up the seabed with your sledgehammer test. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, because yeah, it's the it's the only way to know. Because uh, once we've drilled, if you're in the in, you're in the open ocean and you're going to do a CDD cast, you have some sort of altimeter or some sort of echo sounder. It tells you how deep it is. Yeah. But we don't have that on the ice shelf. So let's let's back up. Let's like so, so for your work. Oh, okay. You go. You fly <laughs> onto ice shelves, which are floating tongues of ice sitting on top of the water. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah. You land on them or near them, and then yes, yeah, so you know we land. Yeah, hopefully land on them. Yeah. Um, and just to be clear, then, these you know, are like five hundred meters to a thousand meters thick, right? Yeah. 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 These are super thick. Okay. Yeah, five hundred to a thousand yeah meters. And so ice. Yeah. That's you say it's super thick, but I mean a kilometer is not. That much, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> like you know, compared, so, yeah, compared to the to, yeah. the to the to the like the continent. Oh the continent yeah, ice is not a huge amount. Or even just like driving, you know, like drive a kilometer that way. Oh yeah, and it's yeah, not yeah. that far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would take you, yeah, take you. If we could walk through the ice, take us fifteen minutes to get to the get to the water. Get to the water. If we were walking. Yeah, so these floating tongues of ice on the water. You get onto them and you drill holes through them. Yep. And then you put sensors down the hole so you can measure the water underneath yeah. it. Yeah, because there's know, no yeah. there's no other way unless you use boating or boat face. Or something like that. There's no other way to get to the ocean under these ice yeah. shelves. Oh, body, the, the sub body, the auto sub body. Yeah, the auto yeah, sub body. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not the not the boat boat. Yeah, which is a, the Attenborough, which is a ship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Unless it has some secret submarine mode that no one's talked about yet. <laughs> they didn't tell you about that. No. It's like there's going to be a button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if button you press this press. button and the whole thing just covers up and on down you go. The, the um, technical yeah. term for the submarine is autos. Uh, Auto sub long range. Auto sub long range. Yeah, yeah. Auto sub long range. Yeah, so yeah, so the idea is we drill these holes and then we deploy instruments uh, and we deploy the same sort of instruments that you deploy in the open ocean. Yeah. Because we're trying to answer the same questions. There just happens to be an ice shelf on the top. Yeah, like um, you measure the temperature and you measure the salinity and you yeah, measure the, yeah. the currents, the, the the speed of the water moving through there. Yep. And we take uh, we take sediment samples in the seabed, um, which. Is an incredibly muddy job, um, but it tells us kind of about the history of the ice shelf. Um, so, I, I, my understanding is that you can, from those sediments, tell the expansion and the contraction whether the ice shelf has kind of ever moved back past a certain area. Oh, was um, that the claw thing? 
but yeah, there's an yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah. it's around here somewhere. There's a cloth somewhere. There. Yeah, so so we have there's two types of sediment cores. So basically, the deeper you the deeper you go into the sediment, the further back in time you can go. Yeah. Um, if you if you make you make some assumption that you haven't <coughs> excuse me you haven't kind of mixed the sediment up, it's all been laid down in these layers. So the, the deeper you go, right. the yeah the further back in time. So uh, we have this three meter coring barrel that would be great to get three meters into the sediment, but it can't. It can't penetrate that far under its own weight, so you have to have some mechanism to hammer it in. Yeah. Um, so we're working on this kind of remote claw that basically hold, picks up this weight stack and lifts it up, and then as it gets to a kind of a certain point, it like opens and lets these weights smack down and yeah. it kind of hammers this the the core barrel in, and then you kind of put it back down again, pick them up. Um, nice. But of course, we can't see any of this. Yeah. So this is all happening fifteen hundred meters down, and we have all we have is a load cell telling us how much weight there is on <laughs> the wire. So it's a lot of practicing in like a lab where we can see the process to see how the load cell is reacting to the different kind of things that are happening. So you kind of, you'd imagine that the load's gonna go up as it lifts the weights up and then suddenly when the load cell drops, you assume that that's because the claws have released and the weights have dropped down. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of practicing. Uh, can you stick a camera on there? Would that help? <laughs> I think we, that's exactly what we do do. Oh, yeah, okay, so we, yeah. send, we send down a GoPro. Yeah. Um, generally above the sediment core, especially when we're trying to test new equipment to try and see what's happening. The issue with it is batteries. Is batteries. Obviously yeah. we need a light because it's completely pitch black yeah. um, and when the water is kind of minus two and a half degrees, your batteries die pretty yeah. quickly. Uh, <laughs> Kills batteries. Yeah, so. What is that? Why does cold kill batteries like that? I don't actually know. It destroys their, their voltage. Um, yeah, but I why? Think. Oh, I don't know. Good question. <laughs> is it contraction? You know, like, because stuff contracts yeah. when it gets cold. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the chemical thing? Yeah. yeah? Okay, yeah. so like it, there's there's a reaction that needs to happen and it lowers the rate of that reaction or something. Because when you warm the batteries up, they haven't run out of, they haven't run out of... Yeah, they can still go. The word. They haven't run out of energy. They can still power up stuff. Yeah. It's just we they should, need to warm back up and, and the voltage comes back up again. So... Yeah. How long have you been? What's what's the first? Uh, how long have you been doing the ice shelf kind of work? You know? Oh, t- a two and a bit. Yeah. Two and a half years. Yeah. So it's just so postdoc basically. So that's kind of new for you, newish. Oh, new absolutely. Way. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm. I still very much. I'm reasonably comfortable on an ice shelf, but the wider, still the wider topic is still something I'm still trying to learn a lot about. Yeah. Um. So the like. Had you done much field work stuff before that? Um, yeah, so I done so I done two seasons. I done a season in my second year of undergrad um, up in the Arctic with the Canadians, okay. which was which was amazing on a ship. Um, on a ship. Yeah, on a yeah ship. so this yeah. was uh, the Henry Larson. So it's a, it's a Canadian um, Coast Guard icebreaker, and we were up um, in the small bit of water called Nair Strait between Greenland and Ellesmere Island. So Ellesmere Island is one of the kind of the islands of the Canadian archipelago, kind of the big cauliflower looking thing at the top of North America. Um, and yeah, it's basically a strait of water that a lot of fresh water comes through um, mm. from the Arctic into the Atlantic. So yeah, so we, were, we went there for a month. Um, and yeah, that was my first experience of field work. I uh, absolutely loved it. I think definitely, definitely got bitten by the bug um, for A, field work, and definitely the poles and kind of polar oceans. Yeah. But I do, it's funny, I do expect or kind of feel that had my first cruise also been equatorial Pacific, let's say, <laughs> I would have done equatorial Pacific stuff. I think whatever my first cruise was, it yeah. almost would have been what pushed me. Because from the, I just loved it. But from then on, I was like, okay, I'll do polar stuff. Polar stuff is awesome. But It's funny how that works, right? Because yeah. um, what's the thing about, like, I, I can't remember, you know, the, um, like a 
a bird when it's hatched or something. This isn't a real fact. This is just like a thing where like an, an idea, yeah, like yeah, a, a bird yeah. when it's hatched, the first thing it looks at is, oh, you must be my mom. So you must be the like... You must, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's some psychological effect. No, I definitely, oh, absolutely. Like the first I, thing you do, the first yeah. thing you get exposed to. Um, would you scoot this way just a little bit? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pushing, yeah, I'm pushing back. Mind. No, no, no. Mind. Yeah, it's got to get a little, a little cozy. Yeah. Yeah, Pete, Pete's pretty loud though. Pete is so. pretty loud. Yeah, sorry. I think we're okay. I, yeah. I'll try and talk quietly. <laughs> I didn't want to make you self-conscious about it, but you know, this is uh, this is it's a pretty good mic. It should be able to pick us up just fine. Yeah, there shouldn't be any problem. You know, I'm used yeah. to shouting at people across the ice shelf. <laughs> yeah, and he shouts to me like from his office. Whoa, tonight. whoa! I don't shout to you. You <laughs> shout to me. We have got. You start a conversation <laughs> through through the hallway. Like, through, through the hallway. Through the hallway. We, people must get mightily annoyed with us. <laughs> I think they like it secretly. Oh, I'm not sure they do. But there we go. Um, but no, it's it's definitely psychological. I think. Yeah, had I whatever I did, the first time would have been what I ended up doing. Yeah, it just happened to be polar stuff, which was me, complete chance. And that makes me think of the just the randomness of it, because like I think that's one of the things that I'm interested in, and part of why I'm doing this is yeah. like I really like science, but not but but I really like science and I think an important element of that is figuring out like oh yeah it's done by people yeah. I mean in terms of ways of gathering new knowledge and asking questions about the world it's the most objective thing we've come up with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it's done by robots uh, yet no, um, no. <laughs> we're working on that I guess yeah. but um, it, it, it's done by the people the answers will just so, be what we code into them but there we go yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so we um so it's it's driven by people who you know have interests and are curious about certain things and mm. we've got impulses and like you said kind of first experiences where you go like, oh I really like that and I want to dig into that yeah. I mean yeah we we got we have to plug into all these things that are when I say have to I mean it, that that's a privilege I don't mean that that is a negative thing but like we we plug into these things that are socially relevant and hopefully are going to be good things to do yeah. but I don't think that's why most people do it you know most scientists do this kind of work because they find there's just something compelling about it and they find something interesting about it and it's just kind of a that's really subjective yeah. like this is neat I want to I want to get on yeah, the no, shelves I, and drill through drill yeah through I agree and measurements and, I agree entirely I'm not I love science because not necessarily because I'm saving the world in fact I'm not saving the world at all I love it just because I love science and yeah. I particularly like working in kind of remote locations and experiencing those places and there is no other yeah job in the world that will get you to those places yeah you don't know um, he's a avid uh, mountain climber in his, in his free time he climbs yeah yeah vertical faces so no so i was all along i guess yeah i guess growing up all along i was like you see the you see the david attenborough programs and you see kind of all the programs about kind of the wild earth and i've always been like i want to be in i want to get to those places i want to see those places and this is the one job or kind of not oceanography but kind of science and physical science and earth science perhaps is a kind of an umbrella term is the job that lets you get there um yeah and i think yeah i think that's kind of really my it was one of my strongest motivations behind following this career is to get to these places and at the same time doing cool stuff that hopefully will yeah. help out in some way but yeah perhaps selfishly that's not my major motivation that's like extra custard so, on top yeah know, that's like yeah, extra. Yeah. i'll do my bit but it's not i'm not i'm not here just to kind of solve human problems not that i necessarily think they listen to us anyway so <laughs> uh, but 
Depends on where you are on the planet and yeah. what year it is, I guess. Yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And perhaps a few years yeah. back you would have said, yeah, maybe now, yeah. perhaps less. That's slightly so. really good, too. Like, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's an abstract idea, like saving the planet. And, like, it's hard to actually, like, come in day to day and say, okay, I'm going to save the planet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's better if you just enjoy what you're doing. You'd probably drive yourself crazy if that was... Yeah, if that was your core, do. if that was like what your core thing was, because it's so, that's not something you can do alone, like as a person. You yeah. Know? yeah, you can try to plug into some larger effort. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. yeah, but it's you don't, as a person, you have very very little control over, you know, what a whole society is doing, exactly. or what what yeah. a government is doing. I mean, you can call and complain to your reps, and you know that's a good thing to do, mm-hmm. but. Um, but you don't. Other than than that, you don't have a ton of control over no. you know large social yeah. movements. And I think I, I think it's one of these things where the, the like the sum of the whole is greater than the like the individual parts or whatever or whatever the saying is. But like, yeah, you look you look at kind of, I guess maybe look at Elon Musk or Tesla. Like perhaps he as an individual is motivated by trying to save the planet, but the technology he's using and his individual engineers almost certainly are just interested in kind of improving battery technology or something like that. I, but the sum of each individual person doing something that they're interested in produces this conglomeration of ideas that, when pushed forward together, will hopefully result in a difference. And I think science, scientists and individuals in science are the same. Like We all have our, our interests that, when put together, result in a coherent picture that allows us to kind of push forward with how humanity should respond to environmental challenges. But I think individuals... There are definitely some individuals who are who are very strongly motivated yeah. by that, but I think there are a lot of scientists who are just do it because it's interesting, and they know part of the output is it's good, it's good for humanity. It's it, it's it's a it's a reason to be here, but it's perhaps not necessarily the biggest driving reason. Yeah, um, and why does the you know that whole system works? I think because uh, uh, I mean, there's lots of reasons that it, that it can work, and one of them is that the whole community we're pretty free to question the heck out of each other you know mm. we we you know when you're writing a paper you, you almost kind of imagine your potential reviewers you know standing over your shoulder yeah, yeah. and you know you you're not going to get any bs by them you know you need to back yeah, up yeah. what you're saying and you need to you know have a solid logical argument and you need to have evidence and mm. it's part of why it works right because we don't we're, we're all kind of trying to keep each other accountable yeah no absolutely absolutely and, and i don't i don't think um, unless you've experienced it, it's hard to convey how um, it's not always like this. But the peer review process can be really can be brutal. You know, you oh. you can you spent months or years yeah, yeah. of your life, you know, <laughs> do, doing some bit of mm. work, take going out, maybe going out on ice shells and yeah, yeah. taking measurements, and you know, in these extreme conditions, uh, coming back home and then fighting with Excel or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know. Which feels can feel about as daunting, I guess. Yeah, as, peer, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm joking, but no, no, no I, I, I'm thinking. <laughs> I kind of peer review. It's kind of like it's kind of like a democracy. It's kind of like it's not it's not ideal, but it's definitely the best that we have because yeah, the peer review process. Is, so the peer review process itself is 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 grim. Like it's it can be brutal. Yeah. It, it's brutal. Like you very. <laughs> this could be this could be um, cynical, but if you're not famous, if you're not a big name in science you very rarely get an easy ride. You very rarely get, or at least in my experience, but I'm very young in this game, so you, you very rarely seem to get an, a peer review process that is like, this is a great piece of work. Yes, you've done everything you need to do. The story is solid. 
kind of make make these minor changes and off you go. It always seems that peer reviewers reviewers always get their accent mm. in some sense. Yeah, um, and could that be partly because yeah. they almost feel like you know when you're asked to be a re- reviewer, you might feel like oh, part of my job is to find flaws. Exactly. Part of my job is yeah. to find problems. And very yeah, yeah, could be very very could be. Um, and, and so you find something. Yeah, and <laughs> I, yeah, because I. I had a paper rejected a few months back, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot. <laughs> it's raw. It's raw. It made me. It made me really. It made me really frustrated because it, it kind of. And it just made me think about why, kind of, why should papers be rejected? On what grounds should a mm. paper be rejected? And and ultimately, to me, a paper should only be rejected if the science is wrong. Um, yeah. And if the science, <laughs> if the science is not wrong, then the paper should not be rejected. And mm. if a reviewer comes back and says. You need to. You, you should do this extra piece of work. They should be asking themselves the question: Yes, but does that extra piece of work is that extra piece of work required to back up your conclusions? Yeah. If it is, then that's that's the correct response. If it's not, then it's like okay, well, perhaps you've left a piece of low-hanging fruit. Mm. This is an obvious extension that someone else is going to kind of take from you because you haven't done it. But it shouldn't be a reason to reject a piece of work. Mm. Um, so stop rejecting Pete's papers every time. So basically stop rejecting just my papers. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's just because it... I it, think when you're, yeah. uh, when you're a student, actually, there's a lot of professors and scientists that review your paper that, that uh, they're more forgiving. They really want to encourage you to do well. There are some, yeah. Mm. So I think that is a positive thing about the review process. But they do tend to give you major revisions. And that takes forever, so yeah. I remember yeah. that as a student. There's certainly, a, yeah, there's yeah. a pool of people out there who do like to encourage students, so if they kind of see that, if yeah. they see it's a student, mm. uh, they they don't, they maybe don't take out their biggest X. They yeah. maybe, you know, <laughs> take, take, out, take out the small hatchet rather than <laughs> the if double-handed. If they're <laughs> the advisor, they might have taken out the, yeah, the biggest X. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I'm really... I wonder, do you think it should be a double-blind kind of process? Oh, absolutely. You think, you think so? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I've never... I yeah. haven't... Or double-open. Like, or double-open? Yeah, like, meaning that you could see their name as well. Y- yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I've never heard a convincing argument as to why it should only be blind to the submitter. Hmm. Like, no one, no one has convinced me that that is a good system. And people have, people have given me arguments that, well... The reviewer needs to have a have an understanding of whether the the writer is suitable for publishing in that field, and it's like, well, if the science stands alone, it shouldn't really matter who's written it. Yes. Arguably, with peer, with publishing, if a member of the public downloaded a data set, no formal training, did some science, wrote up a a, a, a substantial piece of work, and it was it was scientifically rigorous, they should publish, mm. or they should get it published. You shouldn't. There is no formal requirement for qualification in order to publish. It should just be the science standing on its own. So there really should be no requirement for the reviewer to know who the individual is in order to make a judgment of whether they are capable of writing in the field. Mm-hmm. The science should stand alone. Um, so, yeah, to, to me there is no argument as to why a reviewer should know who the paper, paper author is. Um, yeah, uh, no, I, I like that. I like, can appreciate that. Because I think what you're saying is like, it, it, the, the argument that you gave mm. is like, well, it's essentially a kind of gatekeeping, right? Where yep. people are are saying, well, I want to see who the authors are, so I should know, so yeah, I yeah. can know whether I should let them in to, let them, to yeah. our village or exactly. not. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, it, and if, if if I don't like the name, or if I don't like the person, or we've kind of 
had a conflict in the past, and while I keep them out, they're not allowed anywhere near mm. my area. Um, so arguably, going back to the student thing, perhaps there should the, the editors should flag this is a student paper to a reviewer, perhaps to give students the kind of the benefit of the doubt to say, look, like this may not be up to scratch, but the people are working on this. Um, obviously, don't let it through easily. Obviously, the peer review process has to stay robust, but kind of, or at least be nicer in one's responses, be encouraging rather than just like, go on, you should know what you're doing. Constructive, um, constructive criticism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think stay. Yeah. There is no need for. Um, but I think a lot of senior, again, perhaps cynical, a lot of senior people in, would prefer to have their name known because I think, I think names carry a lot of weight. Hmm. I think if you're a well-known person in your field, you're not going to have a paper of yours rejected. Hmm. Or at least if a paper of a well-known person falls across the desk of, a, of, a, of an early career researcher, that early career researcher is, is already predisposed to accepting that paper. Even if mm. they even if they struggle to understand it, or they struggle to kind of understand the, the reasoning, because of the person who it's come from, they're gonna be like, ah, yeah, but perhaps, perhaps I'm missing something. Oh, it's probably fine. I'll let it go. Mm. Whereas if there was no name attached, it would have a far more robust, um, robust process across the board. Everybody would be treated equally. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I don't really. I had an opportunity to review something by somebody who's pretty well known in the field and mm. well I want to keep it all confidential you slam think, it? You know, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well no it, it was really more that I kind of I kind of wrote back and, and said that I, I didn't I wasn't quite there that like I wasn't you know it was I mean, not quite but like I, I kind of yeah. tried to be encouraging um, and uh, I is that what you mean by you weren't quite there you weren't convinced weren't totally yeah exactly yeah I wasn't I wasn't totally convinced um, by it and I, mm. I did write that back and um, you know I, I um, indicated that that was but I was trying to be really you know constructive and helpful and I, yeah. but I definitely felt protected by the fact that it was anonymous yes you know, if, it yeah, been, yeah. if it had been double open I probably wouldn't have felt as like oh. comfortable no not at all I wouldn't have felt as comfortable you know giving that kind of even constructive criticism. soft criticism oh. I would have felt yeah. intimidated by like yeah I think uh, double person so is, double open is, so uh, we, is another you know we're talking about this review process and it's usually yeah. between the author and the reviewer but yeah an actual other element of this is the editor yeah so I I know of a case for example uh, I was going to just say that the editor actually is affected by who the author is too oh right yeah so in the case where you have a very famous scientist submitting a journal to your uh, an article to your journal and you're the editor sometimes you're affected by that and so I know of a case for example where an editor had to choose a certain thing like a certain response to um, to the author and then also the reviewer so like if you have a very famous reviewer saying this paper is no good mm. then as an editor that puts you in a bind. It puts you in a bind because you yeah. wanna you wanna keep that reviewer happy. So right. Either oh man, they'll keep your friendship or professional relationship, <laughs> or that they'll keep reviewing for you. Mm. And so, yeah, I know I know a case where like there was just three like two or two reviewers said, "Oh, this paper's great," blah blah blah, and the third reviewer just said, "No." And it slammed it. Wow! Yeah, and affected the whole review process. Oh wow! Yeah, I hadn't, yeah, I also never, I never stopped. Yeah, I've always thought review is just between author and reviewer, but I guess there is this middle person. I never thought yeah. of the politics 
politics of the editor editor and reviewer yeah yeah so but um, I, anyway. but yeah I kind yeah, of it's challenging it, it is and I mean all of these things are important to talk about but I think like you were saying Pete it still is overall my my experience and sense of mm. it is the whole peer review system is still the best thing that we have in terms of keeping people accountable scientifically absolutely reviewing papers yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know it, it it's kind of a it's a mill kind of a you know, grist. You put some material mm. through it, and typically, on on average, what comes out of the other side is is better and has been improved yep. and has been checked as a result. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Irrespective so, of how much I moan because I had a paper rejected, I do know that the <laughs> the resubmitted version will be a better paper. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it has to be. Um, yeah. So yeah. So despite it being, despite it feeling very kind of personal, it will produce better science and. It's doing yeah. what it's it's it, it's a, that's right. It can be personally crushing, but the mm. process is doing what it's supposed it's, yeah. to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's producing you, you look at, stronger science. You look at the dross that comes out; it's not peer reviewed, mm. and it's instantly it's it's orders of magnitude, orders of magnitude better and more robust science. Yeah. Well, I can be the stuff that's not peer reviewed is not science. <laughs> it's just a bunch of opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I might just add is that um, so I've been recently in the past in a year or so I've been exposed to the EU's uh, system of reviews mostly for like proposals and stuff and I have to say it's it's really impressive mm-hmm. so it's all blind you don't know who's who except they actually you do know the proposer that's that's not fair I guess but um, there's five reviewers or so and you don't know who those reviewers are as, a, as another reviewer and the the questions that they ask are quite objective mm-hmm. um, and so you really have a chance, I think, there, as a as someone applying for a certain fellowship or for grant or something, of doing well because you have five independent mm. reviewers, mm. and because the Europe is a little bigger, there's not so much competition for. Uh, oh, that person's in my field, and so then I want to slam this proposal because <laughs> I want the money. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So I, I just, yeah. I just, I guess I'm realizing that having five is a is a better number than just two. Than two. Yeah. I could see that. It gives you better statistics, right? If you get yeah. more reviews, then yeah. you probably know you could weight them differently. Or you, yeah, you, yeah. you know, if you get yeah. a really negative one or a super positive one, you get a sense of like, okay, those might be on the tails of that distribution of yes. potential yeah, reviews yeah. of this. Yeah. You know, whereas if you just have two, you have uh, no no statistics. Basically, yeah. you just got those two. You, no, I recently you know, that, saw a paper that just had one reviewer. One, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, single reviewer. I had one with five, I think, because it was an interdisciplinary paper. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But uh, That's the, impressive. four of them were happy, and one of them was not happy, and the editor went with the one person who was not oh, happy. Really? <laughs> so it was kind of bad. bad oh, I was just going to say bad the luck for me. Like, <laughs> that the fact that you have five actually helps the editor, because then yeah. they don't have to feel so bad if they go against one of the reviewers. Uh, but in this case, it's... Yeah. Maybe that one reviewer was super well-known. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't... <laughs> yeah. Sheesh. Right, that's uh, <laughs> that's yeah. challenging. No, but, but, like, yeah. but like you said, I mean, uh, that paper's been on the back burner for forever. Yeah. But when I do finally get around to revising it, uh, even though that was personally really difficult for me, when I do get around to revising It'll it, it's going to be better. It's going to be better, it's yeah. gonna be better yeah, as, I, as a result. Yeah, so I don't... I, yeah, I, I was thinking about it with your paper actually. Yeah. It's, a, it's improved even. Yeah, in the past uh, it, yeah. Couple of weeks. Absolutely. Right? Like it is going to be a better paper. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I've never heard of anyone who's argued that their paper has become worse through the <laughs> peer review process. Yeah. People will perhaps say sections have been become a little bit muddied, 
Mm. But I don't think anyone will ever say, oh yeah, the, the reviewer ruined the paper and now there's basically no <laughs> point publishing it. Yeah. Like, I think papers yeah. get better. Um, yeah. It's just quite a... It's a brutal process. It, it's, it's really hard. Yeah, you spend, you spend your entire working life for six months or so working on a, on a, on a paper, on a question. You become... You get to know it intimately and you write what you think is a robust piece of science about it. And then it gets it, it comes back slammed down and shredded, and it's it, it's tough. It's a it's a very tough process to, yeah. and I think um, I think it's particularly difficult for for early career researchers, I guess, like everyone here, where yeah, our job prospects and our promotional prospects and our our chances of getting permanent jobs rely one hundred percent on on our publications. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it's less of a concern for senior scientists because. Yeah, they can put a paper on the back burner for a year or two, and it won't necessarily cause much of an impact. They won't. It's not. They don't have a, a point in the imminent future, a year, two years down the line, where they will. You will have to hold up your output, mm. and you will be judged for it. Um, yeah. So there's a time so, pressure element yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But I guess it, I guess it's like the whole tenure track system. Everyone everyone has to go through it. It just creates a. It creates a very tough environment for for early career researchers to to push through. Yeah. So not to um, steal your uh, your role here, Dan, but uh, yeah. So Pete, like, given that, that what we just talked about, like being in the office or being in the field, which which of the two do you prefer more? Are you? Um, How dare you? Do you like? That's a very difficult. Do you like being in the office? That's a very difficult question. Um, which one do I prefer? I prefer. I, I like both of them for different yeah. reasons. You like yeah. being able like, to. I do. would. Yeah, I would not want an office job. Nine to five, two hundred twenty-five days a year. But I would not want to be in Antarctica for an entire year. Yeah, like, you get has, variety. Yeah, there has to be a balance between the two. If I was forced into choosing one, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to choose. I'd probably. Yeah. Uh, but um, so you don't mind the offices, basically? No, I don't. I don't like as a as a as a scientist. Like I love the office. It get it gives me the chance to dig into the data set that I've gone out and spent two months living in reasonably grim conditions to uh, to collect. Yeah, like, if. <clears throat> if there wasn't the office bit, then uh, just kind of there's not much, there's no science there. It's just a case, it's just data collection. Yeah. Um, Might feel more like a technical job. Yeah, it, and and the, the the people at Bass who the technicians and the engineers at Bass are incredibly skilled, yeah. um, highly highly skilled at, at collecting the data that yeah. we need in ridiculously challenging situations. There's no need to duplicate their you know. But efforts. yeah, like that's I, that's not the that's not the area that I like to specialize in. Kind of I I love to go in the field and and, and play my part, but yeah. I do enjoy being at the desk, processing the data and getting the getting to the nub of the question. Yeah. Um, so yeah. as as challenging as this might be, I thought it'd be fun to talk about your turbulence talk a little bit. Oh, okay, nah, okay. <laughs> I think we can do it. I think we, we got this. We I can think we can do it. this. Yeah, we can totally handle it. Yeah, yeah. one of the things, so you talked about, you know, not only the experience of going out on the ice sheet and measuring underneath it. And, Just say ice shelf, know, not ice, ice sheet. Did I, you know what happens? I do that all the time. <laughs> Even though I know what the difference is, yeah, yeah, it's very the wrong word I, just comes out of my mouth yeah, constantly. They're, they're too close. They're too close yeah. in in yeah, too close I in names. I say sea ice, and that's yeah, totally that's different. Totally yeah. <laughs> that's really bad. Yeah, I have just like yeah, that happens all the time. Literally, yeah. just the wrong word comes out of my mouth. I have it with left and right. You know, like oh, given yeah, directions, really? I'm like, we're gonna go left, 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 
go right. No, 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 no. Go left. <laughs> go on the what I'm ice, thinking of what I'm saying is No, I meant ice shelf. I meant ice shelf. Go on the ice sheet. No. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't no. drill below this. Yeah. yeah. Although, saying that, they're, next season they are drilling on the ice sheets. So yes. They're drilling to the bedrock rather than the ocean. Oh, cool. So, like, yeah. 2,000 meters of drilling. So, so But that's the, a different project. One of the, but you also... T- I thought the talk was at a nice level because, um, you know, you also talked about turbulence in a really basic way. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, you... you you drew this, or you reminded everybody, and me included, of this nice diagram where, you know, the where's the energy? If you look at like a fluid, you know, this the, mm-hmm. the, like the ocean, the water underneath the the ice shelf, the water underneath the ice shelf, you know, it's <laughs> moving. There are lots of small scale features, there's yeah, circulation yeah. on different time scales and energy scales, and you know, you say, okay, where is the energy being put into the system? Like, where's yeah. the energy being injected? And that's largely that's happening on big scales, typically. Yeah. You know, right, big yeah. scales, large, large scales, and I guess, um, you know, that big scale will change depending on where you're talking about. But yes. typically, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever whatever system it is, whatever kind of turbulent fluid system it is, it's happening on the big scales. And then there's a process by which that energy cascades down to smaller and smaller scales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but not because of like not because it's dissipating yet, not because it's like you know not that, because yeah, yeah, yeah. not because of some kind of molecular level process. That happens on the much much smaller scales, yeah, yeah. and you don't actually get that kind of dissipation until you're down there at those really yeah, tiny, right, you know, molecular tiny, scales. Tiny molecular scales, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I guess that's been one of the huge science questions for the past couple of centuries: is like, what the heck? What's going on with that? Yeah. Like, how? So you yeah. go from energy on the large scales to energy all the way down on those molecular scales, and how does it get from one to the other? Mm. And, and yeah, what rate is it going through that system? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's the nub of the turbulence problem. Yeah. Like trying to understand that process without being able to in the vast majority of models and simulations without being able to resolve that process how do we how do we understand the big scale to small scale transition and when I kind of mentioned it the other week you mentioned that that idea of like well part of it is because the fluid kind of not not deforms that's not the right word but you know you get these circulation features that kind of fold over on top of each other yeah 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 they, they kind of mix in a certain way Right, so something yeah. about that mixing process takes the energy from the big scale down to the smaller. Yeah, smaller I scales. guess as as all the there's this there's that really famous poem. Um, I say really famous poem. At least in oceanography standards, it's oh, a famous poem. Yes, yeah. um, I, I can't remember. It's uh, like bigger worlds go to smaller <laughs> worlds. We're gonna we're gonna butcher and, we're gonna butcher. Yeah, it. and like and so on till so viscosity. On. But yeah. yeah, like the eddies, yeah, they fold against each other and through through crazy nonlinear processes like big eddies fold around big eddies to create smaller eddies and they fold around and, and the whole process but I, I think it's I think it's difficult to describe in any kind of at least I find it difficult to describe in any sort of con- perfect conceptual understanding I think it's all kind of it's it's a process that occurs but I'm not sure anyone they, yeah. they might do um, I'm not sure anyone could could tell you exactly the process by which it happens I mean part of it is Stuff gets stretched out, right? You yeah. know, there's yeah, the, yeah. the fluids moving in a certain way, such that if you put some tracer in there, you'd watch it get stretched out along a certain direction, yeah. and then, and then something else would come along and then kind of snip that stretch off and, and turn that up and then stretch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I guess what people have been searching for is like, is there a concise way we can describe that process? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is obviously really challenging because it involves all the steps we just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And there's not, yeah, yeah. So I guess folks have relied on making these scaling arguments which are just uh, sometimes even order of magnitude like well we think this mm. coefficient that we made up 
matches with this other coefficient that yep. we made up on this scale. Yeah. So yeah, this one data on set matches this one coefficient. That's so we'll use this coefficient for everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, very true. Uh, and I think, yeah. And you're measuring some aspects of that underneath the ice shelf. Yeah. You know, some aspects of that turbulent mixing and... Um, uh, and what 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 do you kind of learn? You know, like if you don't mind, can you give like a quick summary of like uh, you kind of did it the other week? Ooh, um, yeah, what did we but what did we learn? So um, do you know something about the spatial scales of the turbulence, right? You know, like how close it's happening, where the where the turbulent driven mixing is happening relative to the ice. Yeah. So yeah. So the the I guess the the, the first kind of the first step was to kind of say, okay, how quickly is the energy moving from the big scales to the large scales underneath the ice underneath shelf the ice. specifically yeah. yeah yeah um that's kind of that's kind of order one question yeah um so yeah so so we've gone ahead and we've used we've used kind of well-known techniques to estimate that kind of dissipation of energy as it's kind of as it's known um and yeah and then we've then we've gone and we've gone and explored and learned kind of what is kind of what is the balance between the kind of the energy going into the system or the kind of the production of the energy and the dissipation of the energy which processes are the main terms in that yeah. balance and when um, you say a process it's like the different ways in which the fluid is kind of nonlinear and you know does something to move that energy to one scale exactly to exactly yeah yeah and all those different processes could just be things like oh well uh here the fluid gets stretched out in this direction, and preferentially in this way, and that's what's moved. That's what moves the energy to those smaller scales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's it's been incredibly challenging. The data set we have is 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 a challenging data set. We didn't return all the all the instruments didn't work, yeah. um, which is not unsurprising when you're putting them through eight hundred meters of ice. They get a bit bashed around during deployment, and in the environment they work, it's incredibly harsh. So. Um, so trying to extract as much it's, it's, it's a challenge to extract as much information as possible to say as much as you can and also using the information you do have going forward in the future to design better experiments yeah. to say okay we, we know this now but to move on from this what we now need is this extra information to, uh, to be able to ask, start answering like the second order questions mm. so kind of in a sense a second order question would be okay if we don't take turbulence observations, if we just kind of measure every half an hour, mm. what is the relationship between what we measure every half an hour and what we measure of the turbulence? Yeah, that would kind of be that's that's a very key question. Like how how can we parameterize as the term goes? Yeah. Can you cut down on how often you need to look at that process? Yeah. Exactly. To still be able to yeah. describe what it does and its effect. And yeah, so so with the data set we have, that's that's quite challenging at the moment because we don't have good observations of kind of the the half hour on like the half hour scale actually we've uh, some of the instruments that provided us with the with the background um background information didn't work so well hmm. so we now know the next step is okay we we have a good understanding of the turbulence now we need to kind of get turbulence plus and then from there we can begin to understand these kind of associated processes and it's is is an iterative process there's, there's no it's not like you go out once, drill some two, drill two holes, get some turbulence observations, problem solved. It's it's very much kind of a, a steady iterative process. Yeah. Um, so is is the challenge really just that, you know, the the way that energy moves from those big scales to the small scales, just that there are so many possibilities that it re resists that like simple concise kind of description. 
you know, is that part of the challenge, or is there something else that we're like really missing about how this that's happening? Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm getting? Yeah, at? Like, yeah. I, uh, is it just a question <laughs> of, oh well, it's just complicated, but we can kind of describe it, or is there really a, like something that we're just not perceiving <laughs> properly it, or not? Like, it, it, yeah, it could be. It, it's it could be both. It's it's kind of difficult. Um, so this this question I think varies with distance. It's oh, funny. The question yeah. varies with distance from the ice. Like the further, <laughs> the closer you are to the ice, the kind of the simpler the problem becomes because processes processes collapse and become unimportant as you get right towards the ice shelf base. Okay, if you get really really close, the processes start exploding again because in that kind of final few millimeters, all manners of crazy stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, no, I think I think um, what we what we kind of understand at the moment is kind of maybe two meters from the ice base. It's the theory we have matches quite well. So we have a theory that energy is being put in through kind of uh, shear, so kind of yeah. gradients in the velocity, yeah, kind so of creating these yeah. big overturning eddies. Yeah, so shear is where you've got a change in velocity over some distance, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's all that is. And yeah. yeah, you can kind of you can kind of imagine like um, is you just run your hand together, one hand stationary, the other hand moving over it. That's kind of shearing your hands, and that mm. creates creates energy your hands get hot I'm kind of doing it in the room at the moment like. um, and then the the energy is dissipated at the same rate so there's a nice balance there um, but as we then move further from the ice base we have instruments at 12 meters it gets more complicated and there we don't I don't understand the balances yet yeah. um, and that could be for two reasons it could be because we are lacking observations to evaluate some of the processes so these are process. These are well-known processes that are expected to be important, but we can't say how important because we didn't observe them. Yeah. So it's either that, and that would be that would be nice because it means our understanding is still complete. It just means our observations are incomplete, or there are other processes and other complexities that we do not know about, which are making the observations, or which which is creating a more complex environment. Yeah. And that that's challenge. That's. On the one hand, frustrating because it, it means our theories are, are are not necessarily wrong, but they're not complete. Um, but it's also exciting because it means that we're learning something. We're learning something new about the system yeah. that we haven't observed elsewhere. And, that, um, and that's all relevant for climate because you know all of these this turbulent stuff you're talking about impacts how you know how the ice shelf can melt or yep. or freeze, yep. and that has an impact on sea level rise and all those. All those things. So yeah, it's got a a, a pretty easy uh, click into the climate problem and that, that sort of thing. You know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it, it's funny the interface between the scales that we're talking. Kind yeah. of we're looking at millimeter and larger and smaller scales under the under the ice shelf. Yes, and that's the scale that you and, need to understand yeah. for like a climate relevant for a climate relevant problem. of whole of Antarctica. Yeah. That is the uh, they are the key uh, kind of <laughs> they're kind of yeah they're the end parameter. Yeah. That's well, yeah. This is this like is the, the eventual the eventual the the eventual aim is to parameterize those scales yeah. in models which are obviously on much larger scales. I like that yeah. to be able to realistically simulate what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah and, and that's I don't think with this project that's we're going to be limited there because mm-hmm. we this the data set has been has been a challenge and it's not quite yeah. complete. Yeah. But we now we know we know what we need now in future projects to, yeah. to, to get to those questions. It's funny yeah. too because this is the uh, sorry, yeah. this is the underlying like, problem that people have always said the turbulence problem. Like, it is the outstanding problem. Is how do you how do you get from point A to point B in terms yeah. of these different scales? 
without actually knowing, without actually resolving yes. all the interactions. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, people back in the, whatever, the 1900s. Mm. So, the, and then the late, yeah, early 1900s. They said that turbulence was like the unsolved problem. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, there's some quote, I forget who said it, but like, you know, yeah. about, uh, well, when I die, yeah. I heaven, I'm going to ask God about quantum mechanics yeah. and turbulence, yeah. and I think he'll be able to tell me about the first one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, the... I think it's very true. <laughs> like, you look at, um, yeah, you, you really dive into the, yeah. the maths of turbulence, and it's it explodes in your face rapidly. <laughs> um <laughs> Let's read some of it now. That's <laughs> good, good, good podcasting, right? Yeah, not, uh, it just yeah. Um, which capo is that again? What page are we on? Yeah, okay, yeah. And it, it's um, it's difficult. It's um, so yeah. Do you were at Oxford before? Yes. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And what yeah. were you up to over there? So, so I was doing um, Arctic Ocean modeling. Okay. So, yeah. so still in the polls. Um, so really, I guess, kind of going way back in the conversation. So when I did the field work. For the first time, uh, I met my PhD supervisor on the ship. Okay, cool. So that um, was your, your undergrad. You were in your undergrad. Yes. Place. Yeah. So I was in Southampton. Southampton. And yeah. it was, um, yeah, summer of my second year. Um, and yeah, went on this cruise. Um, met Helen Johnson. Um, and basically was just kind of convinced that that is, that is the field I wanted to go into. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so kind of kept in touch. Um, because it had these field work opportunities, but it also had opportunities to analyze data sets yes. and do yeah, yeah. science Yeah, work. so it was analyze a data set that I had helped collect, um, go on more field work in the Arctic, be able to visit the Arctic, um, and yeah, also work with work in a place, it's Oxford, it's, it's a fantastic place to be able to go and work, to have that opportunity is incredibly lucky, yeah, to um, to do that. Um, yeah, it's a crazy, it's a great uh department right you just got the physics department right yeah that's well so it's um, sciences also so it's basically it's a combination so it's the the atmosphere ocean and planetary physics so aopp as they call it and earth sciences so the like the physical oceanography group kind of spans those two departments um you have to head out yeah yeah it's okay yeah Uh, um I was thinking, uh, I need to mic you better, I think. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, because I'm quiet. Yeah, you're kind of quieter. Okay. I think I should shout as much as I do. No, don't worry. Yeah, (laughs) I should have had my other cable there because that would have helped out a little bit. That's okay. Um, But yeah, no, I feel bad. I forgot the cable. So will that ruin this uh, recording, do you think? No, I don't think so. I think we'll be okay. I worry that your parts are going to be muffled quiet but okay. I'll, I'll see if I can anyway I'll see if I can pull them out a little bit I'll see no if I can, I can do I couldn't find a quote about the aunt of viscosity yeah it's in there somewhere I was looking yeah it'll be in balance uh, we're all good okay yeah, um, yeah thanks again so we'll, we'll try this you want to try this sometime we can you know, yeah, yeah maybe in the future yeah I'll come along and heckle in the back yeah that's good. <laughs> I haven't really done any heckling actually well you did once that was perfect. It was yeah, yeah. Uh, just a Okay. You got in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, early about the talk. Yeah. 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 Your talk was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say. Right. Yeah, I, I think we've had our back and forth banter. Like we could. Yeah, see you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's this, it was this group, um, this group that spans two departments. Um, yeah. And it was great. Like, it was, it, I, I learned a huge amount. And, um, I learned a huge amount about modeling and kind of, so Oxford's kind of, I, it's specialism is definitely, appears to me to be idealized modeling. And in fact, my PhD ended up going from observations 
towards more idealized modeling yeah. and now come back to the observations yeah that's right they um, like to and I, I like this too i did something like this for my dissertation too where you try to make a really stripped down simplified representation yeah, of, a, of, of a system yeah you know, the ocean and maybe some ice and because you know you know how it works it's it's yeah. easier to wrap your mind around yeah yeah so that yeah, you yeah. can learn something about uh how the acc works you know when you yeah, change yeah. the wind stress or when you change the heat the the pattern of heat exchange with the atmosphere yeah. um it, you know how to turn all the knobs and you can easily explore what happens when you yeah, turn yeah. all the knobs cause and, and the cause and effect becomes much much more tractable yeah exactly yeah. so it becomes you can wrap your head around it and you can learn a lot from it and you then try to take those insights to the full physical system yeah. or maybe even a more complicated model and you try to learn take your insights that you've learned and test them out in a more sophisticated environment to see yeah. if the hypotheses you've come up with are actually you know, yeah. good or not yeah yeah, yeah no, so, you absolutely. Did, so you did some of that yeah. yeah so yeah so basically the 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 observational work um I was always going to talk about challenging data sets. Had a challenging data set, yeah, okay. um, which which limited, I guess, as a fresh faced PhD student, limited my ability to really dig into it, um, or at least there wasn't in the time you had to do a PhD in the UK. <clears throat> there wasn't the time to really kind of dig in output output. There had to be some output. Um, so I took a kind of I took a bit of a detour and and did some of these these this idealized modeling questions. So took some um, very simple models of the Arctic and looked at kind of accumulation and release of fresh water and changing kind of sea ice um, this like the sea ice cover and momentum balances and how that that affects freshwater storage um, and also things like vertical mixing. So how um, and just kind of maybe the beginning of the turbulence route, yeah, how if you kind of increase the amount of turbulence and mixing under the Arctic as you take away sea ice, do you mix more heat up? Because there's a, there's a huge reservoir of heat deep in the Arctic Ocean. Does that get mixed up to the surface? Does it melt um, Does it melt more sea ice? Kind of trying to answer some of those processes or yeah. understand some of those processes. Um, what was your what was your PhD experience like? Did you enjoy it? Did you? Oh, uh, you know, I absolutely loved yeah. it. I had a really, really good time. Really good? The, combi the combination of a fantastic supervisor and a really good fun sociable department for me made a made for a great experience yeah um, sociable so it felt like you were connected to a community it yes. felt like you were connected yep. to a group of people exactly that makes me think of that human element again that like you've you know that that's an important part of it right the community yeah. aspect of it yeah yeah um and at the same time we want to lower some of these gatekeeping barriers and try to get more people involved and yes. more people yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In a, into the into the mix. That's an interesting yeah. challenge to think about. No, definitely, yeah. definitely. Because um, you you look, um, and I, I'm sure. I, obviously, I've only done one PhD. I never plan to do one PhD. So I'm only going to ever experience one institution. Mm -hmm. But you, within that institution, the the experience amongst PhD students is wildly different depending on the subjects that they do. Yeah, that's um, right. And it always struck me, and this may be true across the board. It may just be an Oxford thing. Um, that if you're if you're doing a humanities PhD, you're much more isolated. You're mm. very much kind of working independently. You don't have a strong department. In fact, in Oxford, when you say strong, you mean like there's not necessarily a ton of people working on the same kind of problem. Exactly. Exactly. So you and don't have folks you can just sit around and chat with nope. a ton nope. about your particular problem. Yeah, and you're not all working. You're absolutely not working in the same building. Like, in fact, some of the some of the the subject areas they don't have a department in the classical sense. They have a an admin center, but that's it. There's no offices. Everyone is just spread out across the libraries and stuff. And 
and I think that's I think that's a massive challenge that beyond science and academia in general that we should begin to face up to is yeah is inclusion mm. is improving academic inclusion in, in making it a, an environment in which everyone can prosper and not just a certain type of person who is uh, who's predisposed to succeeding well in a set environment um yeah that's right like because I, I felt I, I feel like if you if you in the earth science department if you are someone who needs a lot of needs a lot of support and enjoys having support it's right there there's mm. your peers are working in the office next to you your supervisors are down the corridor equally if you're someone who wants to work independently then there's plenty of places to work you can go off to a library you can kind of come in later in the day or early in the morning when it's quieter but it's not like that across the board in academia there are there are people working in subjects where they do not have colleagues that they can go talk to because there is no department for them to work in it's yeah. uh, um I think it's a, it's a challenge that academia in general needs to face. Is, is and the internet could yeah. be good for that, but I guess the the internet could be good for that, but I guess it could also be dangerous because you could also get kind of self reinforcing pockets of yeah. uh, just bad arguments and, and current, yeah. like people kind yeah. of patting each other on the backs and creating these uh, you know echo chambers uh, without necessarily critically examining each other. So something about combining the internet. Uh, the, the connective power of, of the internet with that kind of rigorous peer review process that yeah, we were yeah. talking about. Yeah. Those two things have to come together in some yeah, way. Yeah. But, no, definitely. But, but the peer review needs to be based about, on the arguments and on the data somehow. It needs to be you know, focused on that as opposed mm. to um, this more social thing, right? That it, it, it happens often when you form these echo chambers. So I don't know how to combine those things. I'm just kind of putting the question. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's a challenge. Um, yeah, obviously you don't you don't want to kind of degrade the uh, um, degrade the peer review process to kind of make life easier. Definitely don't want to do that. No, um, no, and that that needs to be yeah. there. But um, yeah, well, we'll probably won't solve it right the second. But you know, that's that's fine. Yeah. So uh, Oxford, Southampton. Before that, what were you doing at Southampton? Uh, uh, so 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 Southampton Southampton was a, a straight oceanography degree. Oh, that's so right. Yeah, four they, years yeah, yeah. of. Um, yeah, so I, I, I definitely I fell into oceanography by by accident. It was never when you when I did my A levels, um, kind of high school in the UK. You never, you don't hear of oceanography. It's not a subject that's done. Um, right, yeah. So I was originally going to be a geologist because that was, if you liked physical geography and you liked doing earth science and you liked doing field work, that was the obvious choice. That was what <laughs> you what you knew about. That was kind of in my frame of reference. Um, and it wasn't until I went to Southampton. And interviewed for a geology degree that I saw oceanography because of course it happens in the oceanography yeah. center it's just pure oceans <laughs> and yeah it was at that point fortunately I was taking a gap year so I was already I was already kind of going to take a year out between the end of college or high school and um, university um, and it was during that year that I was able to go like yeah wait a second like geology is not quite wasn't quite what I was looking for um, Oceanography is, yeah. is, it was definitely... I was picturing you literally, like, you walk into the building or you see the building and you're like, oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah, I think... I didn't know this. I think this it, was, it was pretty much like that. You walk... I walked into the building and... Because I'd been to... I'd been to Bristol and I'd been to Cardiff for two other interviews, two geology interviews, and 
yeah, I can honestly say I wasn't in particularly I wasn't particularly excited by either of them. And um, I remember yeah. and I, that's not a negative statement. It just didn't click with you. Yeah, it just, it just click wasn't with me. The, yeah. And I can remember I can remember thinking as as a seventeen year old, like, wait a second, that's not that's not the way it's meant to be. Like mm-hmm. you're always told, yeah, you go to university, you you go to some of the, the big universities in the UK, you see the degree, you get really excited. And I'd come back from two interviews and was like, like I'm not, I wouldn't mind if I never went there. Like it never, it didn't. Neither of them bit me as like, yeah, this yeah. is really what I want to spend. And okay, I was lucky that the tuition fees weren't what they were. Like, but they were still, they were still more than they had been. I was like, I'm not sure I want to, I want to get my it's debt on this. Really good that you got um, bitten by something because I yeah. think for a lot of folks, they go out and they they look and maybe they aren't bitten by anything in particular, and it's a yeah. real struggle. Yeah. If you don't have that, but still impulse. Ex- yeah that draw to like, oh, I want to do this, mm. which is a superhuman thing, by the yeah. way. Like, you know, if you don't have that emotional connection to something, then you might not feel compelled to go. Yeah, it, but, you're still, but you're still expected. You're still <laughs> expected to go. Like, yeah. society yeah. in general still expects people to go to university, even if there is nothing that at that point in time really grabs your attention. Um, and yeah, I do consider myself very, very lucky that I went to Southampton. I saw all the stuff they do about oceanography yeah. and I was like yes the sort of the sort of questions that they are answering were the sort of things that was like that sounds fascinating and some people get um, bitten when they're super young and yep. some of those folks don't even realize how lucky they are yep. they kind of grow up knowing I've known that I wanted to be a scientist since I was three exactly. and they're like well good for you good for you good for <laughs> you and um, <laughs> not yeah. everybody's done and, there, and there are people who um, who don't go to university and then go in later life because they, they suddenly realize they, what, they suddenly get bitten by an idea. It might even be better, right? Because you like, got more life experience. Yep. So you know, yeah, yeah. you know what the, you know a bit more about what the world is like. Not that you're necessarily ignorant when you're a young person, but you just haven't had as much time to be exposed yeah, to different yeah, things. Igno- it, yeah, you're not um, ignorant, but you, you naturally haven't experienced yeah. as much stuff. You just haven't, like, you don't have as much data. You just haven't yeah. collected as much data yeah, yeah. as somebody who's been yeah, around yeah. longer. That's that's all. Yeah. Um, and if, you, if you're not told about it in school, like no one at school told me about oceanography, no yeah. no teacher. And I'm not, it's not, it's not their fault. They may not have known about it either. I wonder if it's this not is, a classical subject. No, um, I wonder if this is changing now with, you know, with the internet again, you know, the kids yeah. growing up now, is it easier for them to get access to, you know, what all is out there or do they have the same problem where, you know, when you're growing up, your mind can you can only fit so much in your head, mm. right? Regardless of how much information is easily yeah, available yeah, yeah. to you, you yeah. can only fit so much in your kind of perceptual field in your head. Yeah, the, so you you might, you know, even if you have access to all this stuff, you might this information on the internet, you might go, I I literally can't put that in my head right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, gonna yeah. just you know digest what I can digest and not worry about. Yeah, I kind of I kind of feel that it probably it, it probably. It changes as time goes on yeah. as, as subjects. I think oceanography and kind of environmental science at the moment is is a really hot topic. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the number of newspaper articles and uh, BBC science articles and and whether whether or, whether or not you agree with what they're saying or not, it's highlighting that environmental science is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that it's that sort of exposure that helps. Um, but yeah, I think when when we were probably going through this process. The oceans, it just wasn't really a thing. Nobody really spoke about the oceans. Yeah. Whereas now, I think the oceans are are a massive deal. Everyone is everyone is talking about them. So, mm-hmm. but but I guess now there's probably some very niche robotic kind of style of research areas, which very which people know very little about, mm. but are probably absolutely fascinating. 
And I can imagine people perhaps in that sort of area are kind of experiencing the same thing where they are, they might go for just a, a, perhaps a regular kind of engineering yeah. degree and then suddenly go like, holy really, I'd never heard of that. Yeah. I didn't even know that existed because it's so it's so on the fringe still and maybe a few, in a few years' time, 10 years' time, that'll be yeah. kind of center stage and how, there'll be something else way out yeah. on the fringe. How come nobody knows about you know, <laughs> yeah, diverted holographic gamma robots? How exactly. Nobody, nobody's, yeah, yeah. nobody's working in this. Yeah, right yeah now. or kind of replicators or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think, I think it all comes down to experience and, and some things naturally... It's hard to experience because yeah. they're not they're not um, they're not out there. They're yeah. Not. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel I feel very lucky that I was able to I was able to see that or have that experience in time to be able to change my mind. Yeah. And have, I've followed it ever since. So. So in, yeah, in a few decades we'll be able to say stuff like, well, this is what makes us different from the robots that we yeah, yeah. we have these impulses of like, oh, I I want that, I want to go towards that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, these impulses all you know they have a long they're built up from these modules that have long evolutionary histories and like yeah. we have reasons why we're interested in stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, I think if you, without that, how can you even make decisions? Like how can you, yeah. if, if you don't have yeah. this kind of emotional impulses for what you like and don't like, how can you even start to go towards or away from anything? Exactly. You know, how do you make it? Yeah. How do you know what to have for lunch if you have no preferences yeah if you, if you have no preference in life how do you decide anything even if you're trying you to do it it's just random. an optimization problem you're still yeah. going to have choices within that optimization yeah. problem of, even if you're just trying to be a, a calculator and say well I'm just going to optimize my nutritional yeah, yeah. content yeah. And you even have choices that you have to make within that mm. or you throw it out you say okay I'm not going to make a choice at all and you throw it out to just a random process yeah. like you roll a dice every time a decision comes along which yeah. would be an interesting way to go through life. I think I'm going to pick my lunch that way today. Just have a yeah, just roll. A, just assign one to one to six or whatever on the the main courses and yeah. roll the dice and take whatever you get. Because yeah. but then the choice is still being made. It's just not you making it. Yeah. Like if you don't make a choice in life, ever, you just roll the dice. Yeah. Well, I don't know what life would be like without a single choice being made. <laughs> could do an experiment. Could uh, yeah. You know, see if my son's up for. I could ask him see if he wants to give it a try. Yeah. Like, don't make you know. <laughs> but would it, would it extend to you you wouldn't ever be able like if you stop making a choice right now would you ever be able to leave this office because surely walking out the door would be a choice I think we're taking a we're taking a bit of a tangent here. <laughs> it's fine tangents, tangents are fine tangents are totally fine um, um, where'd you grow up where were you before university? so uh, so I've always I've compared to where compared to the world very locally yeah um, so I grew up on the south coast of the UK um in the South Downs, um, yeah, I think uh, I was born in London, but moved. My parents moved when I was six months old, okay, and yeah. I've lived there my entire life. They still live there, um, and it's funny. Like I've never, I've never chosen to stay close to home, but Southampton was like forty-five, forty-five minutes away by car from from home, and then Oxford was was in two hours, and yeah. Cambridge is like two and a half, three hours. But it's just, yeah. I've never chosen to be close to home, hmm. but it's just the opportunities that I've that I've gone towards and chosen yeah, have, kinda... have always been close by um, from my perspective is if you stay in the same country you're close to home you know because yeah absolutely you, know, you, can yeah, yeah. Around, you can get around England pretty easily <laughs> you can like yeah, it's, you know. it's true it's true it's can funny it's funny. two hours away from it's home funny for Brits when we're like oh, a three hour drive yeah that's definitely not a day trip and people are like what <laughs> totally <laughs> that's, for, is. that's for an afternoon totally is um, 
So yeah, yeah. Three hours is like getting from where I grew up to Atlanta. You haven't even like left the state. You're still just, yeah. you're moving from one part of the state to the other <laughs> part of the state. <laughs> you know, you, that's you, mad. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, and I've never. I'm, I'm definitely not against moving. Um, moving out of the UK for a period of time. It, uh, just the opportunity. Yeah. The opportunity has like uh, when I was looking for this, the, my first postdoc, and I eventually chose Bass. Um, yeah, I, was in, I interviewed for a couple of jobs in the states and and, and had the offers and. But again, it's like, do I do that or do I go to Antarctica? And mm. oh yeah, yeah, the choice, the choice, the choice is kind of made for you in a sense. I, it's there's no way I would have turned down it's this job. Definitely a bad so. recruiting tool, you know, kind of mm. dangling Antarctica in front of people. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. you might, you might go down there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll take that. Um, but no, I, 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 it's it's quite nice being close to home. Yeah. It, it, you have siblings? You have yeah, so I have, a, I have a sister who who's a nurse. Um, she lives up in Shrewsbury, so kind of Midlands, yeah. kind of reasonably close to the Welsh border, kind of mid-Wales Welsh border. Yeah, um, yeah so yeah, so she... Were yeah, your, fo- your folks? Oh, sorry, you wanted... I'd say no, she's just, yeah, she's three years older than me and has, has trained as a nurse. Um, yeah. So. What about your folks? What are they, what are they up to? Uh, so my mum... Um, was a phys- physiotherapist, yeah. um, but she retired a few years back and now works in an art gallery. Um, and yeah, my dad was a, was a chartered surveyor. So kind of house valuations and working out if someone's house was going to fall down when you were going to buy it. <laughs> right. so, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so um, yeah, we were... To an art gallery, that's an interesting transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Physiotherapy to art, yeah. Yeah, so she's, she's generally, she's a volunteer, um, but again coming back to almost the community thing she just enjoys having a community still to, to operate within um she really enjoyed because a lot of my family is reason is quite medical and i think they've all one of the reasons they've all enjoyed it is the teamwork and as a phys- physiotherapist you're working within a larger a larger team and i think when she retired she was like i'm, I'm ready to, i'm ready to leave physiotherapy behind but i still like working in teams yeah um so off she goes to an art gallery so i think that's kind of the major were they pretty, um, pretty supportive? Was it pretty kind of supportive, you know, kind of uh, background? Yeah. No, kind absolutely. of like encouraging you? Yeah, and kind of... oh, big time. Um, yeah, yeah no, the fa- my family have always... Yeah, like me and my sister, we've always been encouraged to be the best we can and to push to push for our goals. Um, <laughs> and it's hard, to, it's hard to say whether we were... Um, I don't think we were over-pushed, but we were definitely not allowed to slack off. Hmm. Like it's a uh, tricky balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a very it's really tricky. Yeah, I was I, I was exceedingly lucky to go I to go to a private school. Um, and yeah, my dad would would always say kind of yeah like I'm paying you work. There is no negotiation <laughs> here. Like if you stop working, I'll stop paying. But what's interesting um, is like so you you strike me as a pretty positive person. You know, you give off generally pretty typical. You know, kind of. Overall, yeah, I probably too know. positive sometimes, but <laughs> not, not for me. I don't know. It's fine, fine for me. I don't know if like um, doesn't doesn't bother me at all. Um, but I don't know. Uh, you know too, too positive. Do you get that feedback ever? Uh, do, sometimes do you, do I. Like, I'm generally yeah. a morning person, and some people really do not like positivity. <laughs> five minutes after they've woken up, <laughs> let's go. It's like, let's go. Let's go. Come on, stay light. Can you stay that way on the ice? On the ice, typically, do you hit, are you able to maintain? Yeah, that generally. Positivity. Yeah, generally. Kind of like, yeah, I think yeah. I think there's only there's only you can only be positive out there if you get um. Yeah, if you if you, if you get too frustrated, yeah, then the whole experience fundamentally changes, and you you have to remain positive through all the ups and downs of. So that's, over the work. that's good that's like that's like emotionally healthy and uh, without trying to overgeneralize and I think you'll know where I'm getting like 
having, and this is not a statement about your parents or your background, okay. but you know, often the, 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 not often, let me rephrase this, I'm, <laughs> I'm terrible. Um, the, having folks who really push you in a particular way or have mm. like a very strong vision does not always lead to an individual feeling like happy and well adjusted with their life, no, you know what no, I mean? Like not. having a super, So it seems like your your path there were some constraints and there were some uh, you know there were they, they, your folks pushed you in a certain way and there were some constraints and expectations but it didn't translate all the way over into like you need to be a specific kind of person and have a specific kind of interest. No, not, like in the, it wasn't, not in the slightest. So it, which sounds yeah. like a nice Sounds like a healthy balance to, to me. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think my parents they pushed they pushed more of an environment than a, an, a specific thing. So they they created an environment in which me and my sister could be who we wanted to be and could prosper. And um, within that environment, we had free reign to do whatever we wanted. Mm. Um, but there were boundaries, and if yeah, if we almost certainly if we turned around and said. Um, well, I can't be bothered to go to school. I don't want to do my homework. Then that's the boundary. It would be like, no, mm. this is what this is what's expected of you. This is what you'll do. Mm-hmm. And it's if if you want to, it, yeah, if you want if you want to change, if you don't want to if you don't want to work and you don't want to kind of put in the effort, then we will change what we we will change what what we put in. It's a it's a two part system. Yeah, it's not just it's not just them putting in and you taking. You we yeah. were both expected to. Um, to commit time and energy, yeah, making but, it a kind of partnership. Yeah, but know. within but within that environment, there was never ever any expectation of doing a certain thing, right? Like no, of like picking a particular career yeah. or a particular type uh, of career. Absolutely not. Of like, absolutely know, yeah. not. Um, there was there was no expectation that right. we would um, that that we would have to go out and do something. Yeah. Yeah. I, not I'm not like you, know, no, you not, need to be a you need to be a physician or there's no, no you know absolutely not. not. Yeah. Absolutely not. It was it was very much open for us to do exactly what we wanted to do. And I wonder um, I wonder if that's where you run into you know if you try to push somebody down a particular path that just isn't right for them and yeah. if you like refuse to see it maybe that's where you get this kind of uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms mm. and mm. a person who's you know, really pushing hard against their kind of upbringing and background yeah, yeah. and things yeah, yeah. And like you know, no, yeah, definitely. Like, like, if you if you push someone in a way that they don't wish to be pushed, it's a recipe for disaster. They're going to find a way, an outlet to deal with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, probably yeah. not going to be. It's not going to be what you want them. No, yeah. not necessarily. Um, so. Oh, jeez, I'm I'm the worst. My phone is. That's okay. That's no worries. Um, yeah, it's. And I think it's very it's a very challenging it's a very challenging thing to do. I think it's a I think it's almightily difficult to be a parent. I'm not a parent, yeah. um, and I think it's probably incredibly difficult it is. to be a parent to create to kind of to encourage encourage your son or daughter to be who you want them to be, whilst also allowing them to be who they want to be. Well, well and when you like, say who you want them to be, I guess I mean for. It's unhealthy to project yourself onto your kid, right? And it's yes. Un- unhealthy. Yeah. It's unhealthy to project your own dreams and insecurities and yeah. unfulfilled expectations yeah, yeah. and hopes. Yeah, 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 you don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. You want to be like happy and well-adjusted. Mm. Um, well, whatever happy 
means happy can be a complicated word, but at least like well adjusted mm. and yeah. uh, doing something that feels consistent with who they are. Yeah, uh, put, yeah, it, yeah. put it that way. And kind of and consistent, I guess, consistent with like the morals of the parent, and kind of consistent with. Um, I'd even be okay with them pushing back against that a little okay. bit. You know what I mean? Like, I'd even be okay with some some pushback there. But as as um, as long as I think it's important to discover who your kid is, right? Instead of yeah. putting a vision on to them, but you kind of discover who they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it is kind of your your job to try to you know help them figure out how the world works and figure yeah. out how to get what they want and yeah, how yeah. to be successful in that and how yeah. to find how to be part of a community and how to plug into that yeah. and you know and and working in some way is important like showing up and contributing that's an important part yeah of that. definitely yeah um yeah and so i i don't know how to do that exactly i mean i'm trying i'm kind of kind of learning <laughs> yes yeah. as a parent and, yeah, i can imagine it's challenging uh, yeah it's very very challenging it, it is but i think you know and my son's pretty young and it, it's gotten much nicer now that he can talk and we can have like conversations yeah. and things yeah, yeah. that helps a lot because yeah. now we can have actual you can, you kind of, you can say like nope don't like that this is what I want to do like, oh okay alright yeah. <laughs> we can that's, we can work with that that's helped a lot yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so I don't know are, are you, if you don't mind me asking no like, is your do you, are your folks also kind of happy and positive or you know the, the, the kind of the kind of you said morning person sort of vibe that you give yeah, off, or, yeah, yeah. or are you different from that? Or no, I think. Um, gosh, I yeah, no, I think our family has always uh, our family has always been very, very positive. Yeah, like I've never, we've never been the sort of family to kind of grumble. Hmm. Like my uh, my uh, during just thinking like thinking about my ring, we've never like arguments. Arguments are always limited in our family. Mm. Um, because I think everybody I think just in general we were all much more kind of talk let's talk about it resolve it move on sort of people rather than kind of rather than spiraling into spiraling into conflict and um, yeah into despair and yeah that never that never really never really raised its head Um, because whenever you start to mildly criticize something or complain something from, yeah. from what my perspective I never get the feeling that like oh this is gonna we're about to descend into some kind of horrible pit of <laughs> despair from which we'll never return yeah. instead I kind of feel like oh, okay Pete's bringing up something he's concerned about but somewhere down the road we're gonna come out of the other end of it and I'll yeah. go but it'll be fine yeah <laughs> but, yeah I'm, I'm, I am very much like that like there are definitely things that that, that I get concerned about and there are definitely things that frustrate me um, and things I like to change but yeah. ultimately at the end of the day I, I feel like I have a reasonably positive outlook and yeah. if, I, if I can't I kind of have the attitude that if I can't change it today there's no point worrying about it today don't dwell on it don't dwell on it yeah don't obsess over like, a problem that you can't fix right this exactly minute. by all means if you can do something if you can even just put something in motion do it and then move on. Leave it. Don't worry about it until it crops up on the desk again. And then do the next bit to try and hopefully push these things in the right direction. But there's no... I, I generally try not to get obsessed about things. Now, I can, and I, it does happen. Um, there are things that that really get my goat. And yeah, yeah, yeah. irrespective of, of being able to do... Not, being unable to do anything about them, I still get frustrated and it's still... It, yeah, but I think I think that's kind of natural. I think most most people probably have things like that. But but I try and I try and I try and put things to one side that um, 
I'm always impressed with really yeah. emotionally healthy people. <laughs> and I, I think I'm getting there slowly, but I feel yeah. like it's taken me a long time. And then, because I, I, I always, when I meet in a, a person who I perceive as emotionally healthy, there's a part of me that's like, how did you, how did you do that? <laughs> but, but I think, it can, yeah, I, but I think it can also, it can also come across as a sense of not caring. Mm. Like, I, emotionally healthy, yeah, it almost feels like a synonym for just not caring no, that much. No, but that's, that's not it, though. Like, that's not it, though. It's just, yeah. a, it's a healthy distance from the... Uh, horrible dark things that you yeah. can't do anything about yeah and it's it's a like it's a healthy you're just at the right radius away from that <laughs> black like burning yeah. sign of horribleness <laughs> dropping in like... dropping in and out of it every now and again but generally <laughs> yeah. just staying nicely nicely <laughs> over the top at least it yeah. has been no that's right every time you've hit the table it's probably going to be a little yeah. you know not yeah but i am not <laughs> professional I just hit the table yeah <laughs> this, this is a this is a, a fist this is a barely produced kind of unprofessional podcast and bah. i'm very upfront about that <laughs> yeah, and fine. i think that's fine yeah uh, maybe uh, it, uh that's okay right i've yeah. got i've got a thing i'm trying to do and i think it's going okay yeah and, like i think it's going i've been i've been yeah. pleasantly surprised with the response that i've been getting yeah and uh, i wasn't sure what it's going to be like and um uh you know and <laughs> hopefully this episode will be will go come across okay even though i'm still you know uh, beating myself up about creating the other cable Duh. because it's um which is not something i should be obsessing about anymore but i continue to beat myself yeah. up about it because I'm not yet emotionally healthy and I'm trying to get there and I don't yet have the right yeah. but, <laughs> still working on it. Yeah, that. but there are, there are some um, things that are that are just frustrating beyond beyond measure and they This shouldn't be this is minor. Like this getting paper rejected. For example, stop rejecting you okay, so the take take home yeah. is uh, stop rejecting Pete's papers. <laughs> um, Pete no. is a Willing to move outside of the UK if you want to hire him for, yeah. for a job. <laughs> for a job. Um, start citing Pete's papers uh, and come to Pete for... Wow, this is coming across really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Pete's really emotionally healthy and good to work with and good to have around. So, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, I'll, I'll take the last one. <laughs> you'll, take, you'll take the last one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you still reject my papers if you need to. Definitely, uh, definitely that could be the easy ride. No, so, no, we wouldn't want that, right? That no. would be unsatisfying. Oh yeah, you know? it wouldn't. It would defeat the point of, of doing what we do. Like, yeah, because if you're always winning, then it takes out, like, the, there's no, then it becomes meaningless. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. If, like, if everything's an achievement, when does it not become an achievement yeah. anymore? If you're like, constantly very, very, very quickly, and, yeah. If you're constantly just given piles of candy, then candy becomes meaningless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I get plenty of this. Don't, yeah, no, no. Take, I don't need more. No, you, you, have to have, you have to have papers rejected to be, to, to be a better scientist, to write a better paper, but also to feel um, pleased when you have a paper that either isn't rejected or gets an easier write. And you learn, you learn more through the process. So. It's like no, no comedian wants to walk out on stage and have every joke work every time yeah, perfectly. Yeah. They, don't want, they then, don't want the audience to start laughing as soon as they walk out. That's boring <laughs> that's yeah. boring yeah, yeah. it doesn't challenge them so um, no that's right we need some hoops we need not hoops to jump through but yeah we need something to push back against yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and we need it's an act it's, it's like a grindstone right you know we need mm. to like we need to sharpen our swords our scientific yeah. swords uh, you know you, and we need some kind of mill or some kind of I'm mixing all my metaphors horribly here <laughs> but, but it, you it need works. some kind of grindstone to yeah. you know sharpen your sword against yeah. you need that peer review process you need yeah, yeah. that pushback that's part of why I really like going to give talks, even 
early in the process. Yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. like those. I want to hear from the community. I want to get that pushback. I want to yeah, get that like the, the ideas. Have, have you thought yeah. about this? Have you thought about that? Because how else? Like, and it's part of why I really enjoyed talking about this um, proposal that I'm working on too. Is because I want that feedback. Yeah. I want, yeah, yeah. I want people to tell me what, what's wrong with this now so I can go ahead and start thinking about what's wrong with it now and start working on it as opposed to like you know putting months into this yeah. thing. And, and, and you and thinking it's perfect and then you get your feedback and everyone's like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, exactly. I want, yeah. yeah, I want that. I'm greedy. I want that now. I want to like... Yeah. Can, can, no, it's good. It's, it's a good thing. It's a great <laughs> yeah. thing. It's, it's, it's probably better to get it now. Get it now and get it in smaller chunks. Yes. When you're less invested in what you've done already. Then get it once at the end in a big chunk. Once you're heavily invested in, um, I don't think <laughs> that's probably right. that's uh, it's probably the mistake I made mm. with this most recent paper. Oh yeah, is I kind of it was a very I kind of went more kind of independent on it. Perhaps first postdoc project I was like yeah I can do this off we go independently. Oh, okay yeah and then bam it comes back. Um, yeah so maybe yeah maybe what I've learned is I need to I need to talk to people. So that's an argument for more being more the way. transparent and more open and more and sharing it more more frequently. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. the reason people some people are scared to do this, and I think this is true in other fields, is that uh, people are afraid of getting scooped. So that's yeah, an interesting yeah, yeah. balance to strike. Yeah. Right? No. 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 Um, I, I, yeah. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but no. no, no I yeah, think I think I think in other fields, but also I think it's starting in oceanography. I think it's in certain hot areas. Hmm. this scooping thing is becoming a big deal and I know some folks yeah. have had some rough experiences and I, I think I wonder if the way to deal with that is um, use of preprints and things that, that get DOIs you know yeah. you can have a preprint that has yeah. a DOI it's got a time and a date stamp for like you can point to something and show yeah. when, when you've submitted something Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. but I guess the downside of that is it almost becomes this arms race of who can put their preprints yeah, up, the pre up faster yeah, yeah. Um, which is stressful and astrophysics um, is really saturated in that mm. uh, at least that was my experience when I started out in that uh, you know many years ago was the first thing that all these astronomers would do when they woke up in the mornings and or went to work is they yeah. check the archive to see like, okay, who's put a preprint up? Yeah. And uh, there there was one there was one institute where that uh, I won't say which one that that was their morning meeting every morning the department got together and looked at the archive together the to see what had been submitted Yikes. to the preprint. And um, what, one thing that was really off putting about that that this yeah. department um, it became like. Uh, you know, they would scroll through this list and mm. people would shout out like, oh, I hate that person. Oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> oh, it was really grim. Wow. It was really grim. Uh, I did not go to that grad school for that reason. <laughs> I was there visiting like to see if I wanted to go to grad school oh, there. Wow. Okay, yeah, and that, that morning was like, this is awful. This no is way. Not, this uh, is not my thing. So I don't want to see, I don't want to see oceanography go that route. No, where, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Where people are, you know, checking archive nervously every morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's another balance. That's another emotionally healthy balance to strike, isn't it? Mm. You almost kind of can't worry about that because you can't control what other people are doing. No. Um, but it also becomes tricky to find your niche. Like, where can you make a contribution? Yeah, 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 yeah. In this sea of people, you yeah. know, flooding the internet where with lots you, of good science. Yeah. Where can you find your unique little little part? Yeah, because you need you need that niche little part to push the career forwards. You can't not you can't not have publications that answer new questions for the first time. So it's it's a challenge. Yeah, you have to find that niche that you that you can be reasonably certain of that is not going to be trampled on. Someone's not going to come and join your niche ahead of you in the queue. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I feel like it's, it, I think I think an interesting, certainly in observational science, in observational oceanography, that's going to become interesting is data sets. And we go out and we collect these data sets and we put huge amounts of effort in, maybe kind of two years worth of planning, a season, two seasons perhaps, if it's a complicated project, to collect these very rich data sets. Um, and there's this, there's this debate brewing in the background of, so how quickly should that data set be accessible right. to, the, yeah. to the public and yeah, that's right. the one argument is immediately and it's a it has good arguments because it's public money it's a public data set and if you did that with a doi people could cite it and you would get credit exactly for it. so so yeah the that would work if data papers or data releases held as much sway as a journal article mm. but they don't and they they currently they don't um hopefully they might do one day but they just don't at the moment so so it's, it's very much a challenge because once the data set's been collected I need to have, I want to have some time to work on that data set to get science out of it because that science, that's what my career will be judged by, not by the data set itself. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a very, it's a very challenging problem at the moment. I think, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of different opinions out there and I think those opinions are shaped by experience. I think data set users are probably much keener to have the data sets available quickly, hmm. whereas data set collectors are much keener to have the data sets embargoed for a longer period of time yeah. so that they can get their science now perhaps this, perhaps the the way forward is to is to spread how we judge scientists and move away from this model that the only way to judge a scientist is by their by their paper publications mm. and move more to a model where scientists have different expertise expertises is that a word areas of expertise um <laughs> be it a paper writer be it a data cruncher yeah. be it yeah. a data collector and you have different different metrics by which you judge the quality of those scientists and it doesn't all just come down to how many nature papers have you written yeah because there um, are some folks some really good folks whose kind of main uh effort right now is in you know creating uh setups model setups uh, maybe creating you know state estimates and things and they're doing yeah. really really good work mm -hmm. and those folks also are expected to do really good science on yep. top of that yeah, yeah. which is a lot of pressure to put on them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and no, big time. maybe we ought to give these folks some leeway and say yeah, yeah if you've created something as massively useful as um i don't know you know soci or echo yeah, yeah you should get a lot of credit for that yes. yeah, yeah it shouldn't just be down to you know how many nature papers were exactly. you specifically yeah. able to you know push yeah. out of that yeah, yeah. kind of setup uh, that it yeah. should be, look, you did something really useful for the field, and mm -hmm. this is, look what this has opened up. That yeah. has to be, I hope that the folks who are doing that are getting credit for it. I hope, yeah. I hope that they're being measured appropriately. For no, that. absolutely. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I, I hopefully it's something in science that, um, that will begin to happen more is, yeah, you're less, the way you're judged is more is broadened away from just high-impact academic publications. Yeah. Because it doesn't, yeah, it kind of, it only allows one type of one type of scientist to prosper and therefore everybody has to become that type of scientist hmm. um it doesn't allow people to um yeah it, there's no room for that like yeah there's, there's, it's, it's too crowded for, for yeah, that to work there's no room for a 10-year paradigm shifting study to occur <laughs> because if it doesn't happen quickly it just doesn't happen um 
And you're not going to have that many paradigm shifts. You really shouldn't no. expect yeah, you don't them to be showing up. 30, 30 seconds. No. <laughs> Otherwise, the paradigms are rubbish. <laughs> that's a bad sign. Yeah. Because like if your field yeah. is shifting paradigms every yeah, yeah. Like, every week or something. Unless, like, unless it's a brand no. new field that no one's ever exper- explored. Yeah. That means you're not converging in anything. No. That's like you're no. just wandering the desert going, yeah. what's that? What's this one? No, yeah. it's not that. No, it's not that. <laughs> so no, I think, yeah, I think, that, I think there are interesting, interesting challenges ahead in that aspect for kind of understanding how how we judge scientists and how that matches with outputs and expectations and, and yeah. pieces. So absolutely. Um, how do you feel? Do you feel all right? You want to talk about anything else? I'm I'm good. You good? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I don't I have no idea how long we've been going for. It just feels like it's rocketed by. Um, Thanks, Pete. No, no worries. No worries. No, it's been good. It's been good to come along and. Um, and there you have it, my conversation with Pete Davis and Christian Buckingham. Hope that you enjoyed it uh, with the kind of abrupt ending there. That's just when I happened to push the stop button. Um, so we just had kind of a rapid, rapid stop. Yeah, so thanks again to Pete and Christian for stopping by and for taking time out of their uh, super busy schedules uh, to come have a conversation with me. Uh, I'm hoping to have another episode up in a couple of weeks. I'm hoping to maintain a somewhat more regular bi-weekly, you know, every two weeks kind of schedule. We'll see if uh, I'm actually able to do that. Check out our uh, Twitter account at ClimateSciPod. That's uh, at ClimateSciPod or Climate Scientists Pod. I think if you search for it that way, it will show up. Um, that's how uh, I'll share you know, new information about new episodes. Uh, thanks to Anchor, you can also subscribe on you know, iTunes and several other different places. Uh, you might be on Anchor right now. Um, I still have older episodes on SoundCloud. I need to decide what to do with the SoundCloud space exactly because that could be useful as well. So that's it. Take care. See you. See you around. Bye. Yep. <laughs>